There we go. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Journey Church. Wasn't that great? Can we give a hand for all of our leaders, all of our kids workers back there? Miss Julia and all of our, all, we have all of our student workers that work with them. Well, welcome to Journey Church. Uh, kind of thirsty, so just a second. Welcome to Journey. We're glad you guys are here with us. <laughs> to everyone watching online, uh, we love you guys as well. Uh, hey, a couple things we want to let you know about before we get into God's Word. By the way, my name is Ken, if I haven't had a chance to meet you. First of all, in the pocket of the chair in front of you is a connection card, not a bottle of water. Uh, in the pocket of the chair in front of you. And if you would grab one of those connection cards, we're going to ask everybody in the room to grab one of those cards. If you have been a holdout, you've never filled out one of these cards, we're praying today would be the day that you finally fill out a card. If you give us your address, we have something we want to send you. So here's how this works. At the end of the service, we have some good-looking people with white buckets. And if you stick your cards in those buckets as you're leaving, that would be awesome. That would be so helpful. A um, couple things you're going to need to, you're going to want to know about, or this way you don't miss out, is our Christmas, I'm going to take this thing out because my wife is giving me a look right now, so. Our Christmas services are coming up in less than two weeks, um, so here's the deal. We have two services on Saturday, December 24th at 4.30 and 6 p.m., and then on Sunday, December 25th, we have just one service at 10 o'clock, so make sure that you mark that down. What time is that service on Sunday, December 25th? 10 o'clock, not 10.15, 10 o'clock, and to keep with that theme, a week later will be Sunday, January 1st, Sunday, New Year's Day, and we will again have just one service, and what time do you think that will be? 10, 10 o'clock. Let's just make that clear. We'll put that up on the screen, 10 o'clock on Sunday, January 1st. That service, you're not going to want to miss that. We're going to be having baptisms in that service. We're going to be sharing some stories of what God has done in the past year, and I want to invite you, if you have a story of how God has moved in your life in 2022, maybe a story of healing or a story of just transformation or growth, um, I would love to hear your stories. Uh, you can email those to me at ken at explorejourney.org or if you're on Facebook, you could message me. We would love to hear those stories. We've already got a few that we're going to be that, that we're preparing to share. And uh, what a great way to start the new year than with baptisms, than to uh, share what God has done, and to just look forward to what God has for us in 2023. So that's coming up. And then we are uh, planning a trip on June 17th to the 24th to the, to the Dominican Republic. And if you would like to be a part of that, um, the registration for that, the application is going to be due January 15th. So if you go to our website or to our um, app and uh, go to the events, you'll be able to find all the information on the DR trip. Um, and then finally, I, I love this part of my job. I love when I get to come up here and just celebrate what you guys have done. So if you've been around Journey, you know that the last couple of weeks we've been collecting gift cards for our local foster teams. And the vision was this. The vision was what if 
we could send a handwritten Christmas card with two $25 gift cards to every foster teenager in Sandusky County, Seneca, Seneca County, Ottawa County, and Wyandotte County. Like, how awesome would that be for our church to be able to do that? And you guys, of course, because you always do, blew us away, blew it out of the water. And we had so many gift cards left over that we were able to send 40 to Lucas County. And here's the really cool part of the story is because of our partnerships with churches around the state of Ohio who were doing the same thing that we were doing, Every foster, this was as of Monday afternoon, a meeting that I, that I was uh, calling into, every foster teenager in the state of Ohio is receiving a handwritten Christmas card with two $25 gift cards. So I think that's pretty awesome. And, and I say that just to celebrate you guys, just your sacrifice, your generosity, and thank you for being a part of that. And, and here's what I would love, you know, from this point, and whether you were able to be a part of that or not, we all can be a part of praying over those cards. And so in the next week or so, uh, uh, these students are going to be getting a card addressed to them. And, and as they open it up, my prayer is that it wouldn't just be a Christmas card with, oh, cool, there's two gift cards in here, that, it would be, that there would be something spiritual that would connect with them. And, and not about Journey Church, but, but that there would be something about there's a church out there that cares about me and that it would lead them to a Heavenly Father who cares about them and loves them. You know what I'm saying? And so would you bow your heads with me? We're going to pray over this, but also pray over our giving this morning. Father, thank you that you so love and you so give. And thank you for the opportunity that we have. And really, what a delight for us to be able to partner with what you are doing here on this earth. And God, we thank you that we get to give a portion of what you've entrusted to us, a portion back to you. And God, when we do that together, the difference that we're able to make in our community and all around the world. So we pray your blessing upon those who are sacrificially giving. We pray, God, for wisdom and discernment, God, for our leadership team, so that every penny would be spent for your kingdom and for your glory. And God, we pray for these students, God, that this would not just be another, another card in the mail, that there would be something about this. Many of them would keep these cards and, and someday would cause them to darken the doors of a church. And God, where they would hear about a father who loves them so much. And they would give their lives to you, Jesus. That's our ardent prayer. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are starting a Christmas series this week called The Christmas Three. And I'll get into that in just a moment of what in the world that's all about. But let me just kind of back up and give you a little bit of my story when it comes to Christmas. Like, if you would have tapped 10-year-old Kenny DeChant on the shoulder and you would have said, Hey, Kenny, what's your favorite holiday of the year. I would not have paused. I wouldn't have to think about it. It was bar none Christmas. How many of you just love Christmas? I loved, I loved 10-year-old Kenny. I loved everything about Christmas. I loved the lights. I loved the sounds. I loved the music. I loved the smells. I loved our Christmas. Our church would do these Christmas plays. In fact, we, we were part of a movement of churches back in the day, these evangelical churches that would put on these productions called Christmas cantatas. I didn't even know what a cantata meant. None of my friends knew what it meant. But we loved our Christmas cantatas. Like, I loved everything about Christmas. And as time goes by, and, and you can judge me later on for this, but as time goes by, here I am now, 45-year-old Ken. And Christmas, I'll just tell you from just being totally authentic, like, it, it's lost some of its magic over the years. I don't know if that's just something that it has to I don't know if it's something that that's just a part of life and, you know, now we have teenage kids and even, you know, Christmas morning is kind of anticlimactic. They 
have like one gift and they kind of all know what it's going to be and, you know, hey, and they sleep until like three o'clock Christmas day when they used to wake up at like six in the morning, you know, you know, after a while, like Christmas seems to be more anxiety producing than magic producing. Instead of frolicking in the wonders of Christmas, you're just kind of like trying to get through Christmas, just trying to survive. For many of you, there's names and places that are missing in your life. And so now when you smell those smells or you hear that song, there's a, there's a void inside of you. Like, so how do we, whether you're the person who's frolicking in the Christmas magic or you're the person just trying to survive, like, what are some truths that we can anchor ourselves to that can make this season different for us, that can make this season positive and fulfilling for us? And so what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to, beginning today, we're going to just talk about one truth each week about God that we can anchor our souls to And if we could really get it, like if we could really get it deep down inside of us, that it would change everything. It would change how we view Christmas. It would change how we view life. And so here's how we're going to do this. This week, we're going to unpack a truth that has to do with God the Father. And next Sunday, we're going to unpack a truth that has to do with God the Holy Spirit. And then the third uh, Saturday and Sunday, which will be Christmas weekend, we'll unpack a truth that has to do with God the Son. And I'm telling you, these are going to be truths that probably for most of you are going to say, that was the truth, like that's what I'm supposed to anchor my, my soul to. But I'm telling you, if we could get this, it would change everything. So as I'm talking about God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and God the Son, I kind of need to zoom out first and give a definition regarding the Trinity. And maybe you grew up where you've heard, you know, your whole life about the Trinity, or maybe you're kind of new to faith and this is like a new concept for you. But the Trinity is an an orthodox, historical Christian belief that for for centuries, for 2,000 years, that we've held on to. And it's a mystery, and I'm going to try to unpack this mystery in one statement, which is almost impossible to do. But here's the definition that I would give you regarding the Trinity, that there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's one God who eternally exists. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have each eternally existed. I was in a Bible study on Wednesday morning. We have a great men's group. We have great men's groups on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights. A great women's group on Tuesday. Now now I'm going to have to say every group that is going on. There's great groups going on. And the group I lead is a group of men on Wednesday mornings, and just kind of flippantly, in fact, we're in the book of Exodus, so it wasn't, we weren't talking about Christmas or anything, but I just kind of flippantly said, well, you know, that Jesus didn't, like, start in Bethlehem, like, he's always, he's eternally existed, and one of the guys in the group, like, did, like, this double take, you know, like, his neck kind of, like, did this whiplash thing, and he was like, what? He was like, I didn't know that. I said, like, you didn't, yeah, yeah, that's kind of like a, that's the, one of the truths of the Trinity, that there's one God who has eternally existed as three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll unpack more about Jesus being eternally existent in a couple of weeks. But today, we want to look at a truth that has to do with the Father. And to get there, I'm going to have you turn to John chapter 3. So I'm going to have you get out your Bibles right now. We're going to look at John chapter 3 as you're turning there. Um, just to give you a little bit of time, John is the fourth of four Gospels, or what we would call accounts, of Jesus' life and ministry. These are the ways, if you want to know Jesus, you've got to read the Gospels. The Gospels are what unveils Jesus to us. And so, John chapter 3, and the passage starts out with a character named Nicodemus. In fact, verse 1 says there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. So I want you to picture the scene is that you have Jesus who is a 
about 30 years old, 31 years old. And, and, and is there anybody in the room who's 30, 31 years old? Raise your hand if you're... <laughs> are you you're 30 or 31? Anybody else in the room that's 30, 31? Yeah, but Tyson, are you really? Look at that long flowing hair. Like you could be... So, so I want you to think, so, so many times when we think about Jesus, like I don't know, but in my mind, Jesus just kind of keeps aging with me. But I had this epiphany the other day. My son Kyle is closer in age to Jesus, as he would be in this account, than I am. <laughs> I didn't like that. <laughs> I like to think, you know, like, like, so think about Jesus. You got this 30-year-old Tyson or Lauren, you know, aged person, and, and Jesus has stepped onto the scene for well over a decade. He's just been, uh, just been working as a carpenter and doing his trade, and now he kind of steps on the scene and he starts teaching people. He starts being known as a rabbi, which is a teacher, and now he's choosing disciples to follow him. His disciples, get this, were teenagers. In fact, the youngest of his disciples, John, who's writing this account, was most scholars believe he was probably 13 years old when he started following Jesus, like, full-time with his life. And so think, I mean, this is amazing to think about, that here's this 30-year-old rabbi, this teacher, and now there's this guy named Nicodemus, who is a religious leader. This guy's gone to cemetery, I mean, seminary, and he's like, like, he knows, he knows the Bible frontwards and backwards. He knows, I mean, he knows all of the stuff. He's got all the answers. But when he looks at Jesus and when he hears Jesus, there's something that's just, there's a disconnect. Like he's going, man, this guy is teaching like nobody I've ever heard. He's sharing about God in ways that I've never, I've never experienced. And so there is this, there is this thing inside of him that is drawing Nicodemus, that is drawing Nicodemus to Jesus. He's got all kinds of questions. He's seeking. He wants to know what this whole thing is all about. Now, probably Nicodemus is probably my age or older. And here he is, and I love the humility that a guy in his 40s or 50s and maybe even early 60s, the humility to say, here's this 30-year-old guy, and I don't know what the deal is, but there's something that he has about God that I've lived my whole life in religion, and I don't have. I want that. And so he's drawn to Jesus, but you'll notice that he does something. It says, after dark, verse 2 says, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Now, this is intentional. It isn't just that this is the only time they could find to get together at Starbucks. This is a thing of, like, he didn't want to be seen. And think about, think about the 2,000 years ago, there was no lamppost. There was no electricity. There was, like, after dark, it got dark. So Nicodemus, who's part of the religious elite, he's, part, he's actually one of the Pharisees, He's got these questions about Jesus, but he doesn't want to ask Jesus these questions when somebody else might see him having this conversation. So he goes to Jesus under the cover of darkness. Now, here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, Nicodemus, you idiot. I know exactly what's going on. I know what you're doing here. How about you step up and be a man and ask me this question tomorrow in broad daylight? But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus leans into where Nicodemus is at, and he welcomes the conversation. And so they, they start having a conversation. Nicodemus starts, you know, acknowledging that he's a rabbi and that, he, and that Jesus is sent by God, and he starts asking him about eternal life and, and all these types of issues. And Jesus, this is, a, this is a passage where Jesus says, well, you must be born again. 
So if you ever heard people talking about being born again, you're like, where's that in the Bible? It's right here in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus goes, I must be born again. What are you talking about? How can I be born again? Like you, and he actually says this. If you read the passage, he says, what, are you, am I supposed to get back in my mother's womb again? And Jesus is like, don't be an idiot. Okay? We're not talking about being physical. This is a spiritual rebirth that I'm talking about. And he talks about the spirit. And he talks about how the spirit wants to move in Nicodemus' life. And it's really this great conversation. Well, in the middle to the end of this conversation... Jesus said something that for years has been something that within the church, people had this passage memorized. People had this, I mean, I, 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 I would probably to be to the point where I had it so memorized that if you put a gun to my head and I could figure it out, I could probably figure out how to say this passage backwards. But we're going to look at John 3.16 and John 3.17. When I was a kid, this will show you how old I am. When I was a kid, when you would watch NFL football games, you could always count on the banner man. The banner man was this guy who would be in the end zone at every football game, and just as they were about to attempt a field goal, they would hoist up this great big banner that would simply say John 3.16. Like most, most pagans in our country were at least familiar with that passage. It, maybe they didn't know what it said, but they knew there was something about John 3.16. Me and Walt Talley are actually going to start a ministry, and if you will pay for our football tickets, we will gladly go... <laughs> And we will step up. We were talking about this after first service. So if anybody wants to give to the Kendi Chant, Walter Foreman, International Evangelistic Football, John 316 Bannerman Ministries, we will set up a 501c3 and we'll make that happen. Bring back the Bannerman is what I'm saying. Bring back the Bannerman. So I say all that to finally get to John 316. And here it is. And so many of you know this and you know it so well that it just kind of sometimes goes right over our head. But think about what Jesus is saying, the context in which Jesus is saying and who he's saying it to, the seeker, this guy who really does want to know God in a way that he hasn't known God before. And so Jesus just says it this way. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So much is going on in this passage. First of all, and this doesn't have anything to do with the truth that, that I want you to anchor your soul to today, but you'll see right away that two of the three members of the Trinity are actually specifically mentioned in this passage. God the Father, who gives God the Son, right? Two distinct individuals, members of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit isn't mentioned in this passage, but I told you just a second ago that Jesus did talk about the Holy Spirit earlier in this conversation. And later in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus talks a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. But today we're going to start with the truth about the Father. God the Father. God the Father. Would you just say those three words with me? God the Father. Now that you know what you're supposed to be saying out loud, would you say it with me again? God the Father. We want to unpack this idea of God the Father. See, for thousands of years in the Hebrew tradition, God had been thought of as everlasting. He had been thought of as creator. He had been thought of in association with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He had been thought of as kind of out there or distant or brooding. Or probably if they would be perfectly honest, they would even say he's probably most of the time in a bad mood. But they had never latched on to an idea or a theology or a belief of God the creator, God the eternal one, as father. 
Now, this isn't because this hadn't been stated. We have a dozen different instances in the Old Testament where God was referred to by a prophet or by other individuals as father, but it never caught on. People never latched on to this idea. They never started seeing God as father. It wasn't until there was this 30-year-old rabbi who stepped onto the scene and who started saying, hey, do you know all these instances in the Old Testament that refer to God? Do you know they're actually referring to God the Father? That you can know God as Father? This, I know you're sitting there and you're all looking at me like, come on, get to the next truth. This was mind-blowing. This was revolutionary. This sounded heretical in the eyes of the religious elite. That we can think of the, the Almighty One the Elohim, the Adonai, that we can think of him as father, as Abba, or in English, Dada. We can think of God in a relational sense. This was totally shifting how people would view God. And Jesus is, Jesus is trying to drive this home. If you notice in the Gospels, he's constantly, he doesn't just do this a couple of times, he's constantly referring to God as father. The son only does what the father tells him to do. I only go in the direction the father sends me to go. Some disciples come up to him. Jesus, teach us how to pray. Okay, here's a great outline of how to pray. Our father who art in heaven, right? Like, I mean, this wasn't just like a little, this became one of the overarching truths that Jesus was getting across to his people. You can view God as father. Now, this changes everything. And I'll be honest, for some of you in this room, there's a huge disconnect. For me, I'll tell you, like, when I think of God as father, this works for me, but I had a pretty extraordinary dad. I should change that statement. I have an extraordinary dad. I think he's back there in the corner right now not wanting me to acknowledge him at all. But if you don't know him, that's my dad. And I, I grew up with a dad who was present, who loved, who was faithful, who worked his butt off, who had wisdom available. Like, my dad is awesome. I'll tell you, I know a number of you in this room didn't have that. And I wish you did. I wish you would have. I was talking uh, two weeks ago on Monday, I was talking to a young man. And uh, we were talking, I was just, just asking him some questions. Um, it was kind of a counseling type of setting. And so we were talking about his life and stuff. And I said, well, tell me a little bit about your dad. And he goes, I, I've ne I don't know him. I said, have, have you ever met him? He goes, I've never met him. So have you ever... Ever seen a picture of him? And he goes, I think once when I was growing up, I saw a picture, but I wouldn't be able to pick him out of a police lineup. No connection, no association whatsoever with his dad. Maybe that's your story. Maybe your story is that your dad was, was there physically, but emotionally he was, he was absent. Maybe for you, the story of your dad is one of abuse physically or emotionally or other ways. Maybe for you, you just had a dad who n never had love modeled to him, and so just emotionally, there was just all kinds of issues there, and to this day, they're still, like, it's just difficult. It's just hard. So I, wanna, I want us to do something this morning, and, and I know this sounds so soft. Like, some of you are like, come on, Ken, give us the meat this morning. I'm telling you, if you get this, this is, this is the best meat you've ever had. But I want you to think for a moment, whether you had an incredible dad, a mediocre dad, whatever, maybe, maybe your dad wasn't part of the picture, but you grew up and you had some friends, well, we all grew up, right? But you grew up with some friends who had a good dad and you were, yeah, it's debatable, some of you haven't grown up, uh, but you had a friend who had a, a dad and, and just watching their interaction, like you learned some things about what a good dad looks like, or maybe as you've gotten older, 
you've, you've rubbed shoulders with some people who are dads, and you've got, oh, man, that's, that's what a dad's supposed to be. I want you to, to think, and, and, and if you could define in one word, a one-word adjective, not a sentence, not a paragraph, what are some words that you would use to describe, like, what a dad, a good dad, what a good dad does, who a good dad is? Like, what are some words that you would use? And by the way, I'm not looking for a particular word, okay? So I don't want you, this to be a thing of, like, Maybe I'll give him the answer that he wants, you know? Like, but I'd really be interested. We're going to spend a few minutes doing this. this might, maybe you're not used to this in, in church world. But I'd love for you to just yell out some words, some adjectives that describe a good dad, who a good dad is, what a good dad does. Okay. What? Work? Loves. Loves. Okay. Wise, dependable, is that what I heard somebody say? Man, you guys are awesome. Did I hear compassionate? I stopped caring about uh, spelling these right a few words ago, so good luck. Discipline. Was that a student who said that? Nice. Love it. Hardworking, we have encouraging right here, understanding, you guys are awesome, provider, reliable, faithful, and we have dependable right here, and probably faithful is similar, we'll put that down. Supportive. Do we have that up there? For leader? Caring? Honest. Humble? Somebody said something in the first service that I wouldn't have put on here, but I love is humorous, right? Maybe you don't think about that, but a good, a good dad has some humor. Pull my finger. Fun. <laughs> Fun. Right? Trustworthy? Okay, here's a cool thing. We could, sp- now that we started this, like, we could, we could spend some more time, and we could probably fill up a couple of these, couldn't we? Here's what I want you, this is what Jesus is getting at. This, this is what, when Jesus is saying, hey, Elohim, Adonai, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the eternal one, the everlasting one, the creator of the heavens and the earth, you can view him as father. This is why Jesus is saying that. Maybe there's a disconnect for you, maybe for you, your relationship, maybe that's messed all of that up. Your whole life. But I want you to know, this is what Jesus is getting at. Like you, this is what it's all about. And here's the thing in John 3.16 in particular that Jesus is doing. Like all of these words, and we actually have the words specifically up here. But what is this all about? It's really all about love. And here, here's the first thing. If you, if you don't get anything else out of this sermon, here's what I would want you to get. You have a heavenly father. Your, God the father loves you. 
God the Father loves you. You say, again, Ken, can we get some theology? Can you throw me some Greek words? Can we, can we do something a little? I'm telling you, this is foundational. God the Father loves you. You say, well, I, you don't know what I did. Here's the thing. The enemy of your soul will attack this truth as hard as he can because if he can get you doubting God's love for you, then he, he can topple you so easily. I've talked to pastors reti- that are retired. I mean, they've ministered for 40 years plus. I sat down with a pastor recently who's retired, and we're talking about his ministry and stuff. And I said, what, what, what's, the, what's the issue that has been, or what has been an issue for you in ministry? And he goes, I'll be honest. He goes, I've never been fully convinced that God loves me. A pastor. I've never been fully convinced that God loves me. Can I just tell you, if I could look every single one of you in the eyes, I'll tell you, your Father in heaven loves you. In fact, the way that Jesus says it in John 3, 16 is that he so loves you. He so loves you. It's not like, yeah, you're all right. You'll do. Wish I had someone better to work with, but here you are. No, 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 no. He so loves you. Here's a truth you need to get. God the Father loves you. Here's a second truth that I wish you would get. God the Father gives. He so loves, and his love isn't just poetry. His love isn't just mush. It's not just a thing that a junior high boy says to a girl to get her to kiss him. Like this is, no, no, no. This is, he so loves that he gives. I would love for you to get that your Father in heaven gives. He's generous. Your father in heaven, he gives. A good dad gives, right? A good dad bends and stoops and serves. I've always said a good dad eats the leftovers in the refrigerator because nobody else in the family wants them. And he's too cheap to throw them away, right? A good, a good dad gives. A good dad will make sure that everybody else in the family has what they need. Some of you dads in this room, you're going, oh, that's how it's supposed to work? That's how it's supposed to work. That's how it's supposed to work. A good dad gives. And what does Jesus say? He says, your heavenly father, he so loved the world that he gave. He gave. What does he give? He doesn't give, like, the leftovers. He doesn't give what's, what's you know, in the garage that he can't get anybody else to take off his hands. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now, we're going to talk more about this in a couple weeks on, at our Christmas service. But I love the mutual love and edification and submissiveness of the three members of the Trinity. God the Father, who loves his, God the Son, who loves God the Holy Spirit, and how they mutually work together so that the purposes are accomplished. But what I want you to know, God the Father loves you, and he gives his very best because he loves you. He gave his son Jesus. And why does he give his son Jesus? Look at the verse. So that we don't have to perish. Perish, that's the word. You probably didn't use that word last week at school. It's an old English word. What does the word perish mean? Well, when I was looking it up, this Greek idea is all about destruction. That's a word we can understand, right? Destruction. 
left to our own devices. In fact, God knew, God knew this about humanity, that left to our own selfishness and our own greed and our own insecurities and our own pride, the destruction just naturally happens. In fact, every time God just kind of removes his hand and steps back, destruction. Turn on the news, destruction, destruction, destruction. Destruction isn't something that God invented. Destruction is the absence, it's the void of God. In fact, the ultimate expression of perishing is an eternity separated from God in hell. And God did not want that for you. He does not want that for you. You say, well, wait, 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 Ken. You just got done saying that God loves. How could a loving God have a hell? I didn't say that God created hell. I think hell is exactly what happens when God removes himself 100% from a place. Hell is the absolute absence of God's holiness and his righteousness and his justice and his love. Hell is that pit that has no semblance, no taint of God whatsoever. And by the way, Jesus talked about hell a lot. So you you might not believe in it, but Jesus taught about hell. Here's what I want you to know about hell. I wish it didn't exist. I'm not one of these pastors. Sometimes I've grown up hearing pastors who almost seem to delight in the existence of hell. Like they got, they were happy that, that there was a hell and that people were going to hell. I wish I could wipe hell out of the Bible, but it's there. And what I do know about God is that he so loves you and he so loves me that he gave his one and only son that we don't have to perish that we can have everlasting life. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 3 says God doesn't will that any would perish. That's not, his, that's not what he wants. He's not willing that anyone would perish, that his will is actually that all would come to repentance. What is repentance? It's a changing of our minds. It's changing how we view God. It's changing how we view others. It's changing how we view ourselves. Repentance is saying, God, I've thought of you the wrong way my whole life. Help me to see you the way you are. I love, I was reading this passage recently and it just popped out at me. First John chapter three, verse one says this, how great, think about this, is this up on the screen? How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. His love that God has, this so love that God the Father has for you and me, it's not just a little bit, well here's a little bit for Ike, here's a little bit for Joel. Here's a little bit for Alex. Now I gotta keep going or Austin's gonna be mad at me. Here's a little bit for Austin. No, lavish. You know, when I think of lavish, uh, you, sorry. When I think about lavish, did you ever go to a church potluck? How many of you ever had the joy of going to a church potluck? Anybody? The joy, the absolute joy of going to a church potluck. Church potlucks that I would go to, there was always the people behind the tables and they only existed for the teenage boys. These ladies, I called them the church potluck Nazis. And they only existed because they knew there was teenage boys that were gonna walk through. And they'd be like, one cookie. One cookie. And they would scoop out instead of letting us scoop things out. One little, and it'd be like this little like dab of potato salad. And you'd be like, what, look at me. I need more than that, I'm wasting away here. And then there would be the lady behind the church potluck who didn't care about the rules. And she would take her great big scooper And she would take that homemade banana pudding with the wafers in it, and she would put a whole big pile of it on your plate. You know what I think, when I think of lavish, I think of as much as you want. 
We'll give you. You want even more than that? I'll give you even more of that. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us? Not a little bit. He just, just lavished it on us. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us? Here it is. That we should be called what? Orphans? What? That we get to be called children of God. And I love what John says. And that is what we are. If you're a, fo a follower of Jesus, that's what you're. You're a child of God. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on you. I want you to know you are so loved. You say, Ken, come on. Is that really what the sermon is all? Yes. If you could get this, I really do believe that if every person in this room could get the love that the eternal, everlasting creator of the universe, the most high God, Elohim Adonai, if you could get the love that he has for you, and it's not conditional, and it's not based on how good you've been today or how good you'll be tomorrow, that it's just, it just is what it is. If you could get his love, it would change everything. If I could get his love, it would change everything. It would change how I view other people. It would change, it would change your week at school. It would change your employment situation. It would change how you view your family members. Like if you could get the love that the Father has for you. And it's not just a superficial love, it's he gives. And he gives his best. And he doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to experience life and life abundant. See, this eternal life that God has for you isn't future tense. It is present through the future. It's life not just when you die. It's life right now in what you're going through. In the anxiety of the Christmas season and missing the faces and the places of Christmas. And just feeling like, man, I just... I'm just surviving the season. It's life in the midst of that. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And I'm going to ask you a question, and this isn't a judgy question, okay? I don't want, I don't want you trying to, well, what are people going to think if I raise my hands? I just want really like an instinctive response. And as I was praying through this, I just really felt like there's somebody in this room. And I, I'll be honest, in the first service, we just saw probably 20, 30, 40 people raise their hands to this. But, but if you're here and you just say, Ken, I just want to experience and encounter the love that God has for me. Like, I know that he loves me. I, maybe I'm a Christian. I go to church. I've been religious. Like Nicodemus. Nicodemus saying, I've done all the things. I've jumped through all the hoops. But I just want to know. I want to encounter. In fact, Paul said it this way. He goes, my prayer for you is that you would know how high and deep and wide is the love that your father has for you. That you would know this love. And Paul says it this way. That you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. What, is, what in the world is that? How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? It's an encounter. And it's, it's an experience. As I was praying this week, the imagery that I had was a baptism of love. And just being soaked and saturated in God's love. And so I'm going to ask you to, to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And I'm only doing that because I know there's some people that are never going to raise their hands if they think people are watching them or looking at them. But if you're here and you say, Ken, I need to know that God loves me. I've been through some stuff. I'm going through some stuff. I, or maybe, maybe I've been following Jesus for years, but it just feels stale. It just feels kind of like something has been sucked out of it, and, and I've lost that joy. Ken, I just wanna, I, I want the, I want the love of God. I want to experience this love for me. I know he loves me, but I want to know that he loves me. 
How great is the love that the Father has lavished? I want him to lavish love on me. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now all over this room? All over this room, just raise your hand if that's you, yeah. Yeah. So many, probably over half the room. You can lower your hand after you raise it. Anybody else who, who didn't raise your hand yet, but you want to be included in this? Yeah. This isn't about whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, man, this is a great time to raise your hand because, man, God wants, this is a starting point for following Jesus is knowing that he loves you, experiencing his love for you. Father, I pray for my friends who have raised their hands this morning. And God, I'm just boldly asking you, and I don't know what this is going to look like or how, how people will each perceive it, but I just pray right now, supernaturally, God, that you would baptize your children in your love, that you would lavish your love upon your sons and your daughters, that they would know your love that surpasses knowledge. God, I'm boldly asking you that this afternoon, this evening, as we're going to sleep, that we, would, that we would dream in our dreams, we would dream about your love for us. God, I'm praying that as we're going to school tomorrow, maybe going on the bus or sitting in a study hall, God, that our minds would just, that you would draw our minds to your love. Going to work. Maybe my friends are retired and, and maybe they're, 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 they're in a room just kind of putzing around with things. God, that they, that they would just in a moment just be overwhelmed with your love for them. Maybe, maybe my friend is, is seeking love and looking for love. God, that they would be overwhelmed with your love. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we can be called his children. And that is what we are. Thank you for the confidence and the assurance that we've been adopted in your family. I pray for anybody in this room who has not bowed their knee to you, who has not humbled themselves and said, Jesus, come into my life, lead me, forgive me of my sins. God, I pray that today, before they leave, that they would humble themselves and say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I believe that you are the Christ, that you were crucified, risen, ascended for me. God, I pray that as we receive your love, that as we experience you lavishing your love on us, that we would love people around us in ways that we've never been able to love them before. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before you go, before you go, we have some prayer partners that are coming right now. And if you need, and you'll know this, if you need to take this a step further, our prayer partners would love to pray with you through this. For some of you, you've got some wounds that maybe were kind of opened up as I was talking about this. And, and you just need someone to agree with you. And in fact, uh, if we have some prayer partners, even if you're not scheduled this morning, if you would come up, we'd love as everybody else is leaving to be able to pray with you. Second thing, Next week, we're going to be continuing the series by talking in the Christmas 3. We're going to be talking about God the Holy Spirit. Love for you to come. Invite a friend to join you for this. And remember those connection cards as you're leaving. We have the Christmas back there, good-looking people with these white buckets. They'd love to take your connection cards as you leave. God bless you. We'll see you guys later.